Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. Well, Drew, now that the AMTA season has concluded, we've moved into uh, what some might call the off-season. But of course, we know uh, we've got Trial by Combat coming up in just a couple of weeks. Trial by Combat is a one-on-one national championship tournament that was launched just a couple of years ago that happens every year in June And every year since this podcast has existed, we've had the opportunity to chat with organizers and competitors at Trial by Combat to really get into the weeds about that tournament and just get a chance to talk about mock trial during a time when there's not usually a lot of mock trial. So we're thrilled to be able to continue that coverage this year by having Phil Pascarello on the show. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with Phil. He's a trial attorney at Klein Inspector. He's the trial competition director at Drexel Law. He's very familiar with these one-on-one mock trial competitions because he is a Top Gun champion. He won Top Gun back in 2018, which is the law school equivalent of Trial by Combat. And he's an AMTA veteran. He's the former president of Delaware Mock Trial. And, of course, the host of Watch Mock, which is... Uh, a video uh, sort of similarity or, or video show that Phil hosts where he gets to look at uh, different mock trial rounds and talk with some of the participants. We are thrilled to have Phil on the show. Phil, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to chat with us. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm, I'm really excited to be on the uh, nationally renowned mock review. Really excited <laughs> to be here. I can't believe it's taken so long, guys. Come on. Right? I should, <laughs> should have been on way sooner than this. I'm just kidding. Hey, you know what? If there was ever a time to do it, it's on an anniversary episode like the introduction to TVC. I don't know how many years we've been doing this. It honestly feels like too long, but it's only fitting to finally have you on on this one, Phil. So thanks for being here. I'm really excited. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, we're really excited to have you on the show. I believe, I mean, this is the fifth trial by combat and we've covered every one. Let's go back just a little bit before we get into, you know, talking about Top Gun and Drexel and all that stuff. Of course, we love to talk to all of our guests about their origin story. So take us back to the beginning. Uh, How did Mock Trial start for you and what's your Mock Trial origin story? So my dad's a lawyer and like many little boys, you kind of grow up saying, I want to do what my dad does. Um, So I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer um, and, and talked about it from a young age, but you know, as I'm sure you guys can relate to, you don't really know what that means until you actually get to law school. Um, but I always said I wanted to do law school. I wanted to be a lawyer. When I got to high school, um, I have the kind of mom who would kind of look at the online high school announcements every day and see what was going on at school. And one day she came across an announcement for, uh, the mock trial team that was meeting that week for their, their first meeting of the season. And she said, you're going to this. And I said, no, I'm not. And she said, yes, you are. And I decided that rather than uh, fight with my mom about what I was doing at school, I decided I would, I'd rather just go to the meeting than continue that conversation. So I went and I loved it. I immediately fell in love with everything about it. Um, I competed all four years in high school, um, all four years uh, in college at, at Delaware, and then three years at Drexel and just loved it so much. Uh, and I can't believe that I'm now did it in my teenage years, did it in my twenties and I'm about to start or embark on my mock trial career in my thirties. Um, and it's been a, a, a huge part of my life, the biggest part of my life for, for so long now. And I'm just so thankful um, for my mom forcing me to go to that meeting. It, 
it's always interesting to me when we have people on whose origin stories go back to high school and getting to hear about kind of all the different steps of mock trial that you've gotten to go through starting in high school and then, you know, taking, like you said, to college and law school and now getting a chance to, to do it uh, even past law school uh, is such an interesting story and I think such a unique story. But I want to talk for a second about your time in AMTA, because, of course, we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about AMTA. So you were a competitor at the University of Delaware, a consistently excellent program. And, of course, when you were there, you all were national-level competitors for the last couple years that you were on the team. So can you kind of take me through what it was like competing in AMTA and the progression that you felt like you were a part of uh, during your time on Delaware's team? So when I got to Delaware in 2011... Uh, there wasn't much of a program. There's an, there was an anecdote um, about Delaware's team from before I got there. And I'm not sure how true this is, so I can't verify it, but it's been passed down. And um, the story goes that in 2010, the Happy Land year, uh, university, the University of Virginia, UVA, had a demonstrative um, where they would kind of show the different levels of whatever the, the drug was in the, in the princess beads using different colors of Gatorade in beakers. And uh, my, my Delaware team, this is before I got to Delaware, but the, the Delaware team hit UVA at, at some tournament, maybe it was regionals. And Delaware's closer drank UVA's demonstrative in his closing argument and said, see, it's not poisonous. Oh, um, that's the level of, that's, that's the level of, uh, program that we had at the time that I got there. Um, and my first year there, um, there was a competitor there by the name of Ryan Leonard, who some of your listeners may know. He's a, uh, assistant coach on, on UVA staff right now and has been for the last several years. And, um, that year we led Delaware to a winning record at regionals, which was a big deal. The next year, um, we got a, a pretty good crop of talent in our freshman class, um, and our, in, our incoming kind of new student class, um, Andrew Donnelly, who went on to be an All-American, the first All-American at Delaware a couple of years later, and Ellie Wallace, who it, who's, most people know her as Ben Wallace's uh, sister, but I know Ben Wallace as Ellie Wallace's brother. Um, <laughs> and um, we uh, made it to Orcs that year. We're 5-1 and one going into the last round of Orcs and drew Zach Fields-Harvard. That was 3-3. Three and three. Uh, and lost to them in a close round and barely missed nationals. And then my last two years at Delaware, we made nationals for the first and second time in, in school history. And my last year, we placed top 10 at NCT. And that was a, a really just just a, a crazy ride from, from you know drinking UVA's demonstratives before I got there to being top 10 at NCT a couple of years later. Um, and I was it was really just a, a cool, really special time you know for me to be a part of that. Um, with with those people who are still my really close friends, I'm I'm thinking of the exact language of of the AMTA rule on demonstratives, and I think the the language is you can't permanently deface a demonstrative, and I'm trying to think of something that is more permanently defacing a demonstrative <laughs> than than drinking someone's demonstrative. I guess like lighting it on fire, but but I can't think of a whole lot else. Um, let me ask one quick follow up though on that last year, because uh, I was just kind of looking at old tab summaries and, and doing a little bit of research for the show. Your 2015 Delaware team that finished top 10 at nationals, you all had a, a pretty wild path in that your rounds one and two, your round one was against UC Berkeley, your round two was against Miami. You took two of three ballots in each of those rounds, 
Berkeley went on to finish second in their in that division, and Miami went on to finish third in that division. And you had the highest CS, you know, in the division, and easily the highest CS uh, of any of the teams who placed. So I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would have to guess that you know, while I'm sure that, you know, after those first two rounds, you all were sort of dreaming of big things that having such an incredibly strong finish to your four years to have such a really impressive performance at the end of four years at Delaware had to be a pretty satisfying conclusion to your time in AMTA. You know, Ben, it really wasn't. We were student run and we were under the illusion that like we were going to win nationals. And as I'm sure most most teams that get to NCT are, are, are you know, believe that they're going to win, and um, so to your point, when we drew Berkeley and beat them, and, and when we especially when we drew Miami in round two, and we we knew who Miami was, they were you know the, the big bad um, national powerhouse, and we were Delaware student run, no coach, who had really not done much at NCT ever, and it was a really close round. It's actually on video that round. Uh, it's a very good round, and we won very close two to one. And um, we were in it and we drew Eastern Kentucky University in round three, who was a, a good program, but we thought, you know, we were the favorite in that round. And I have that round on video as well. And I've lost sleep over that round, guys, like, like legitimately lost several nights sleep over that round, somehow going two to one against us. And um, once, once that happened, we knew we were obviously out, uh, definitely out. And um, we kind of packed it in in round four and lost a close round to, to Vanderbilt, two to one. Um, but looking back on that, finishing top 10 at NCT, being student run and, and really not having a track record at NCT before that, um, I'm really proud of that accomplishment. I'm, I'm really proud of my time at Delaware as a whole. And um, it was the, all, all of those rounds that you, you talked about were, were really good rounds with, you know, kind of some legends of Ampton. Nick Cotter was on that Berkeley team. Uh, Danny Kunkel was a freshman on that Miami team. Um, and uh, just just a, a really cool way to end my four years in hindsight. But at the time, we were obviously very disappointed. Yeah. And that, that you know, just goes to show what I get for assuming, you know, how you felt about it. But that makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's such a, an interesting part of, of AMTA lore to be able to have such incredible rounds, you know, at a national championship. You know what it is, guys? Like, I think I, I'm sure both of you can relate to this. I think as a competitor, it's it's hard to have perspective on a good result. Mm-hmm. Like right now, right now as a coach, you know, in the law school world, there's 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 playoffs, and in, in the Ampton world, there's not really playoff rounds. But my goal going into most tournaments is let's make the playoffs. Like let's get to the final four, let's get to the final round, let's get to let's let's have a play, let's have a good result. Um, and at the time, having perspective on. And, you know, our AMTA finish, our NCT finished those two years, you know, placing top 10 as a student run program who had never really been to NCT is a fantastic finish. And in hindsight, I'm really proud of it, but it's hard to have that perspective. And one of the things that I tell, you know, high school competitors and college competitors, you can't put unfair pressure on yourself at, at these tournaments, particularly at NCT. It's such a wild tournament. And you want to just focus on having a good finish, placing in the top 10, um, and being happy with with where you finish, and not you know look at the tournament as a, a kind of winner bust thing. And I know a lot of the, particularly the the competitors from really big programs have that mentality, and that can be dangerous. But in hindsight, I have a lot. I have a lot of. I'm really proud of that finish. You know, I, I think it's interesting hearing you talk so much about this because I think it is something that so many people can relate to. I mean, when you said that you had that round that you've lost sleep over, I, I mean, what's funny for me is that mine wasn't even 
a nationals round. I, I will tell you still to this day, my sophomore year, I had a round when I was on the B team at Haverford and we had a regional round that I thought we were far and away the better team. It would have put us in a good spot to break from regionals that year. And we somehow dropped both. And I'll, you know, like you said, I still think about it at night. So totally can relate. And, and let me just say that I, I totally understand where you're coming from. But, um, Phil, I think it is, you know, so cool that we have someone that has been kind of involved in so many different levels of mock trial as you and Ben were both just discussing. But I want to take a second to talk about Top Gun and about the law school world of mock trial. Obviously, you were very, very successful. You won Top Gun in 2018. So I want to take a second just to talk a little bit about what your experience was competing at Top Gun and and what it was like to win that competition. I mean, especially you just talked about how you had that high expectation for yourself at Nationals. What's it like to actually go out and win a you know, individual, albeit, but still national championship. So if you would have asked me in 2015 or 2016, if you would have said to me, Phil, you can have anything you want in the world. You can have millions of dollars. You can have your dream job. You can have any, anything you want. I would have said without exaggeration, I want to win Top Gun at some point. And to be there, like just to be there guys was un- like, I couldn't believe just being in Waco amongst that field of, a laundry list of like a who's who of AMTA uh, around that time. And Brandon Hughes was there and, and Lauren Lutton was there and, and so many like really decorated competitors. Um, and just to be invited to that tournament, I was just so, I couldn't believe it. And to win, um, I mean, really, honestly, this is going to sound like an exaggeration. It's really not. Four years later, I still think about it, you know, almost every day. And I can't believe, I can't mm-hmm. believe that happened. Um, I was just really fortunate uh, to to be there and to have, you know, who in my obviously very biased opinion is is the best coach of all time in Justin Bernstein with me and my now fiance uh, as my second chair. Um, And uh, it was just an amazing experience. Top Gun is, as someone who, you know, has coached or competed at every level, Top Gun is the best competition there is, bar none, like in, in every way imaginable. Um, and people that have been there, you know, former amateur competitors who've been there will tell you the same thing. It, it is the best. Um, and that all said, it's, it's grueling. Um, it's exhausting. Uh, it's a ton of fun, but at, you know, in the, at the time it's happening, it is absolutely no fun. It's like the, the least fun. I think I would not be doing my job as a journalist if I didn't ask this, but why, why do you think Top Gun is, is the best? I mean, I feel like that is a, comment that very few have the perspective on to really talk about, but I, I want to hear it. What makes Top Gun the best? I mean, think about the things that you guys value in a tournament, right? So let's like go, go one by one. Judges. They have amazing judges. All trial lawyers from the Texas area. Um, a lot of former mock trial competitors. Um, it's very rare that a Top Gun round is you know, a, a bad result or a result that's that's the wrong result. The, the judges, the judging pool is fantastic. Um, the cases are amazing, and I'm kind of a, a case snob. Like I, I don't like many <laughs> cases. Uh, the, the 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 Top Gun cases are unbelievable. They're intricate. They're complex. They're interesting, um, and they're they're real. Um, the the festivities of the tournament are just so cool. Like Baylor Law is an amazing university, an amazing campus. They set up all their 
um, classrooms like courtrooms and not like courtrooms, how college courtroom, uh, college tournaments have, you know, a bunch of chairs set up like tables and, and like a witness stand. That's like a folding chair, like literal courtrooms in each room with a judge's bench and nice tables and a, a real witness stand. And there's technology and you, you get to use, you know, the, the, the courtrooms with, with TVs and stuff to display your exhibits. I mean, so many different things. They add witnesses as you go. Um, I mean, I could talk for so long about how good of a competition it is. It's so well run. Um, I'm just so happy that when we, when Drexel is invited and I get to go there as a coach, um, I look, it's the thing I look forward to most every year. Um, it's no fun. Like I've said, like I said a minute ago, it's, it's absolutely no fun, but it's just an amazing experience. You know, I, I will just say that as someone who is moving from the AMTA world to the law school world, you have officially gotten me excited about it. I definitely, I, I think that everyone has been trying to lower my expectations in terms of just the general organization of law school not quite being there uh, compared to AMTA. But um, hey, you know what? I'm excited. And maybe maybe in a few years, I'll be feeling the way you are about it. So I'm, I'm definitely excited. Let me let me give you guys a hot take. Ready? This is this would be like the, this would be like the headline of the podcast. Ready? <laughs> uh, law school mock trial is better. It, wow! It, and, and and I know that's I know that uh, that's a hot take, uh, and I know that's probably most people listening to this are like throwing their drinks at the screen <laughs> if they're, if they're watching it on a TV for some reason. Uh, but it, it it it's it's better in a lot of ways. It's, it's not as good in, in, in a lot of ways. And that's a whole separate podcast that we could do. But I, when I, when I left college mock trial, I thought this is, this is like, it's never going to be the same. And I love law school mock trial so much for so many reasons. Um, I think the law school circuit is a little bit more realistic, which I like. Um, it's a little bit more substantive, which I, which I like as well. Um, now there's so many, and when I say that law school mock trial is better, I, I'm exaggerating a little bit. It's, I think it's better in some ways, um, but I think most AMTA competitors that come through Drexel, for example, they say the same thing um, that I said when I was a, a first year student, which is nothing will compare to AMTA. And when they leave, they say, "I really, really, really liked my, my law school experience. I, it's it's at least as good as my as my AMTA experience." Um, there's a lot of things that AMTA gets right that law school doesn't, but. Um, there's a lot of things that law school does really well um, that I really enjoy. Well, I guess with all that in mind, then, as someone that, you know, had such a good experience at Top Gun and, and as you've said, enjoyed it so much and thinks so highly of it, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, Top Gun versus Trial by Combat, you know, where you see the the difference between these two tournaments, you know, again, with you being someone that is so intimately involved with both of them, you seem like a very good person to be asking this, but where do you see as the biggest differences? And if you see Top Gun as the superior tournament, what do you think Trial by Combat could be doing maybe to get better? And obviously with your involvement in this year, you know, we'll get to it in a second, but I'm definitely excited to hear what you what you want to change about it. Yeah, so I, I don't think one is, is better. I think there's some kind of um, like historical nostalgic things about Top Gun that, that Justin and I could, ne could never replicate. Um, and there's some obvious differences between Top Gun and Combat. The witness component, um, the format's a little bit different. Um, the biggest difference that I think your listeners probably don't realize is the case complexity is substantially uh, it's, it's a substantially harder case at Top Gun. Um, when I went, it's it was several hundred pages. Um, there have been 
the, the year that I won, it was like 11 or 12 witnesses that they added. They were in, in the case from the beginning, but were periodically made live witnesses as the tournament progressed. Um, culminating in the final, like before the final round, they literally put me in my second chair in a room with the 11 witnesses and they were like, have at it. Prep whoever you want to prep. You have an hour. Um, you call, call anybody you want. Like that level of complexity. Um, there have been years where the the plaintiff or process or the or the plaintiff in a civil case could choose from a number of different claims in pretrial, like five minutes before the round started, would tell their opponent, "Here's the claim that I'm pursuing of of the three that I can choose from." Choose from. Um, there's like dozens and dozens and dozens of exhibits. Um, so it's a really, 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 really hard fact pattern in in most years. Justin and I have been sort of conscious to make the the trial by combat case not like that. Um, to make it so it's easily you know, triable for a college student with 24 hours prep um, to make it so with the short um, kind of time limits that we've imposed on the competitors that the fact pattern isn't too complex where you could never try the case in an hour and 10 minutes. Um, so I think that's probably the, the biggest difference between the two that your, your listeners don't know about is the, the case is just substantially more complex at Top Gun. And that makes sense. I mean, they're law school competitors that are about to be real lawyers. Um, and so I, I don't think that's necessarily a, a, a bad thing about combat or a good thing about top kind of just a, a, the biggest difference I'd say. You know, Phil, I kind of want to build off of a couple of things that, that you just said a few moments ago, because I think that it's really interesting. I've never participated in top gun, but I've watched a lot of the videos. I've read some of the cases. And so hearing about the differences between the two, I think is, is really interesting, but going back to what you said a moment ago about law school mock trial, of course, you and I are both people who are very involved in that community uh, and who know a lot about the law school mock trial world. So you obviously were a competitor at Drexel and now you are, you know, you coached there for, for a couple of years under a couple of different directors and now you are the trial competition director. So can you kind of like pull back the curtain a little bit, take us behind the scenes and talk about how you approach law school mock trial at Drexel and just kind of what your program is like. And of course we have, many listeners of this podcast who likely are thinking about going on to do law school mock trial. And, you know, it's not something that we spend a ton of time talking about on this podcast. So can you give our listeners a sense of what it's like to be a law school mock trial competitor at Drexel? Yeah. So I'll start off by talking about law school mock trial very briefly and then give you a sense about Drexel. So the biggest difference between law school and college mock trial, there's a couple of big differences. The first is for, you know, in the AMTA, in the AMTA world, there's one case for the overwhelming majority of the season at all the invitationals and then, you know, at the AMTA tournaments. For law school, it's completely different. Each tournament is kind of its own world with its own universe of rules, its own field of teams, and its own case. So Drexel's tournament has its own case. Uh, Justin's tournament that he hosts every fall has its own case with its own rules. Um, and every tournament kind of has their own intricacies that make that tournament unique. Um, the other big difference between law school mock trial and college mock trial is the witnesses are not scored in law school. And you very rarely see a witness um, in law school who does a character or something quirky or uh, they play, the witnesses are played pretty, you know, pretty straight. Um, and, and there's not much of that. It's pretty, it's kind of frowned upon amongst the, the directors and coaches in the law school circuit uh, they don't, they don't really do that. Um, in terms of Drexel, uh, first off, I, I'd say I have the best job in the world. Um, my, my title is trial competition director. 
And um, that means I oversee our, our teams. I recruit our coaching staff. I run our external tournaments. That means trial by combat and the tournament that we host every fall called Battle of the Experts. Um, and the reason I say it's, it's the best job in the world is, I, first off, I just I love coaching. I love hosting tournaments. But uh, Drexel especially um, has put a lot of resources into its trial program, particularly over the last six or seven years. Um, and I'll talk about a, a few of them. The, the first is, or maybe most relevant to your listeners, is we have a uh, what's called the courtroom scholarship that we offer. And that means that any AMTA competitor um, with, with AMTA experience can, who applies to the law school can apply for our courtroom scholarship um, online. And basically, if you Google courtroom scholarship Drexel, it'll come right up. It's literally six or seven questions on a website. You submit it. It goes right to my email. Um, and that puts you in contact with me. Um, right now, we have seven uh, or actually nine courtroom scholars in, in our law school. Um, and this past year or two, or two years ago that the, the students are currently rising to us, we have, I think what's probably our best class yet, um, a couple of people that your listeners may know. Uh, Dennis Tincelli from UVA um, is a rising to well at Drexel. Um, ben, this is maybe me more in our wheelhouse. Uh, Peter Gaynor, who was the, I think the top ranked attorney, if not the second highest ranked attorney at nationals in 2014 mm-hmm. from U Maryland is a, uh, currently a, a 2L at, at Drexel. Uh, Clark yeah. Doig, who is an award-winning competitor from, from Wheaton, is a rising 2L at Drexel. I mean, there's there's so many um, uh, current students at Drexel who are court and scholars, and we've had even more applications, obviously. Um, and so the the law school has really made it a point to recruit AMTA competitors to our program, and not just award-winning competitors who, who are the big names, that, like I just mentioned. We have people who were in small programs who won no awards, who were awarded courtroom scholarships because I speak to them on the phone and I think they're really enthusiastic about trial ad and mock trial. They want to compete on our team and they're offered scholarship money because of their empty experience, even if they don't come from a big program, even if they, they're not award winners or closers or combat competitors or whatever the case may be. The other big thing that's really nice about our law school that your, your listeners should know about is we have the only um, building that is dedicated to trial advocacy among law schools in the country. It's called the Client Institute of Trial Advocacy. Um, and basically it is an old bank that was renovated um, into a, you know, the best way to describe it is kind of a cathedral to mock trial. There are five or six state-of-the-art courtrooms. Uh, the 2018-2019 combat finals are in that room. The 2019 NCT final was in that room. Um, there's, it's a really big building with lots of different facilities to study in and practice in and things like that. And so our trial team competitors practice in those rooms. We host our tournaments in those rooms. We host combat in those rooms when it's in Philly. Um, and so having a law school that has those kinds of resources behind its program, um, I just have the best job in the world. No one has ever told me, no, you can't do this. You can't go to this tournament. We can't afford that. Um, it's really nice to go from a student-run program at Delaware to a program like Drexel where we have all the resources. And um, I just love my job. I love being at Drexel. It's, I think, you know, the best place, at least on the East Coast, to do to do mock trial. Um, and I'm just so, so fortunate that I get to, you know, be at the helm of that program. Yeah, I think the the everything that you pointed to makes a ton of sense. You know, maybe technically the party line on my end is me supposed to be saying, oh, well, you know, sometimes I think I have the best job in the world, but actually I think you might have the best job in the world (laughs) because of just the amazing support that 
you have at Drexel. I, I strongly, strongly encourage people who are listening to go look up the uh, trial by combat final round between uh, Rachel Summers and Nick Ramos that you're referencing to see, you know, I guess the the altar of that cathedral, that absolutely stunning ceremonial courtroom that just I've been in there now four or five times. And every time I'm there, it, it kind of just takes my breath away. It's such an incredible room. Uh, so following up on one thing, Phil, that I think you can offer some really interesting perspective on is I feel like, you know, so I was a law school mock trial competitor from 2014 to 2016. I don't know if we ever overlapped, but we're kind of in, in a, a similar time period. And I feel like it was right around then that AMTA started to move into the law school world. And now I feel like AMTA alums play a huge role in just law school mock trial. They're, they're not, it's not exclusively that there are many great competitors who are very successful. I'm sure at Drexel and other places who are not AMTA alums, but can you talk about what that experience is like for former AMTA competitors to come in at a place like Drexel and transition from AMTA mock trial to law school mock trial? Yeah. So the reason, I mean, I was a former AMTA competitor, obviously who went to Drexel and worked with, with Justin at Drexel. And um, I, I just felt like, it was such a different experience. I, I felt like at, at Delaware, I learned, you know, how to how to how to do mock trial, and at Drexel, I learned how to try a case. And, um, you know, just getting to to go to all these different tournaments. And and like I said when we were talking a few minutes ago about the differences between college and law school, uh, the law school world is just so much more substantive, so much tr- so much truer to what real trials are like. Um, and getting to learn. For example, like the federal rules of civil procedure and criminal procedure, which is not really a thing, you know, in, in the AMTA world, um, to to learn how to argue motions and eliminate pretrial. That's not something that we typically see in college competitions or high school competitions. Um, and you know, getting the experience of going to different tournaments at the law school on the law school circuit. Ben, you know this. Uh, all the tournaments are so different. Some tournaments have live witnesses. Some tournaments have witnesses that are your teammates. Some tournaments uh, have a pretrial issue. Um, some tournaments add new evidence as the tournament progresses. Some tournaments have a brief component, a writing component that, that impacts your score. And so I really felt like at Drexel, I got a really good education. Um, and I know that sounds cliche, but it's the truth. When I was 26, my first year out of law school, um, I tried a case with another associate against Johnson & Johnson and got a plaintiff's verdict. And I got to cross-examine Johnson Johnson's expert for three days um, with my boss, Tom Klein, sitting in the back watching. Um at 26 as a first year associate. And I never would have been able to do that if I didn't have the experience that I had at Drexel, where I, I felt very comfortable being in a courtroom and knowing how to try a real case. Um, and I, I just, I always tell recruits when I'm talking to them on the phone, um, I kind of ended up by Drexel at Drexel by accident, but it was the best decision I ever made in my life. It's the reason I have my job. It's the reason I was at Top Gun. It's the reason I met my soon to be wife. Um, and I just, I'm I'm so lucky that I ended up there. Well, as someone that is definitely enjoying getting to talk about so much of the law school mock trial world, um, I do want to be cognizant of the fact that many of our listeners probably are sitting here saying, I could not care less about any of this. And so to try to take us back to something that maybe some of our listeners are going to be a little more excited about, um, I want to talk for a second about Watch Mock, Phil. And... You know, you you said it at the beginning, but it, it is about time. I mean, I'm so excited to finally get to talk to you about this. But um, I, I know just 
briefly that Ben and I spoke so much about how excited we were when we first heard that you were doing it. Um, and just in general, I think I love seeing other people get into this world of, you know, talking about mock trial outside of tournaments and, 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 you know, getting to interact with the community in more ways. I think it's something that um, is so important and so helpful. And so I just want to first start by saying thank you so much for doing it. But I want to also kind of ask why, why did you want to start doing it? What was the motivation behind it for you? So it was always something that I sort of joked about doing with, with Justin. I would say, wouldn't it be, because there's so many things on YouTube, like people doing reaction videos to different things. And I said, like, the example that I would always give is, wouldn't it be hilarious if we got Ben and Rahul and you and Ryan Faulkner to sit down and watch the round and we filmed it? And I said, we'd call it Watch Mock. It'd be awesome. And it was always like, it was literally like a running joke for several years. And in the middle of the pandemic, um, there was so much video that had been accumulated because all the rounds were online that was publicly available. And... Um, especially given the Zoom medium, it, people have become so comfortable with it and I'd become so comfortable with it. It was the perfect kind of easy mechanism to host a show like that without learning, you know, like complicated podcasting software or, or, or complex video editing. So, you know, one day I was talking to Justin and he said, I, I think I think this actually kind of makes a lot of sense given everything that's happened over the last year and how much video there is. Um, and so I you know, how mo most of the ideas start these days in the college world. I texted Ben Dembski and I said, or emailed, <laughs> e emailed, him, emailed him, I think. I didn't have his number at the time. And I said, hey, I'm, start I'm thinking about starting this new thing. Do you want to come on and, and be kind of the test run? And um, we shot that first episode of, of his final round. And I just had so much fun with it. And it worked so well. Um, and I, it's been so much fun. Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually surprised at how much fun it's been. I'm even more surprised at how much traction it's got. Um, it's actually, I'm sure you guys can relate to this. It's kind of a lot of pressure. Like we kind of have a decent viewership now and people expect it to come out and be decent. And uh, it's, it, it ends up being a lot of pressure, um, but I've enjoyed it so much. And um, you know, Drew, you said a, a minute ago, thank you to, to me for, for doing it. And the, the truth is I'm, I'm really doing it because I'm having fun with it. And if I wasn't having fun with it, it's a, it's a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of stress. And, you know, I don't know that I'd be doing it, doing it if it wasn't so, so much fun. Well, I think something that's so cool about it to me is that I think it is giving a chance for people to do a couple of things. And first, that is kind of humanize and like see some of the, you know, really top competitors that, that you often have onto the podcast as just people. I mean, I know that when I was, um, you know, from a small program who didn't know it, you know, in some ways, some of these mock trial legends become almost these mystical figures and, you know, seeing them just talking about it and seeing the thought process behind things, I think is so helpful for new up and coming people to learn more about it, to understand the way that they think about and approach mock trial. And I think it's a great learning tool for people. So again, I really do think that that is awesome. And to those of our listeners that haven't seen it, I really do recommend that you take a look. It is fantastic. Um, but I do want to ask, you know, what, where do you see the direction of WatchMock going in the future? Do you think it's, you know, is the path that you're on right now something that you want to continue? Are there anything that you want to try to push on that platform? Um, you know, what's, what do we have in the pipeline for you? Honestly, Drew, I would just settle for it coming out every month. For like, from here on out. Uh, 
you know, one of the things that I've, I've been thinking about now that it's got a decent viewership is production quality. So for, for those of you, um, you know, at the time of this recording, the episode with Ali Alekri and Marie Edwards from, from Berman, Ali Alekri from Chicago came out last night and the production quality is much different than in past episodes. I got some someone to help me with the video editing on the, on the show and it looks significantly better, I think at least. Uh, and so that was one thing that was important to me to kind of increase the production quality. Um, I, I think the other big thing that I want, uh, you know, going forward is to, to figure out what people want to see. Um, and I've, I've tried to experiment with different ways to solicit kind of audience feedback in terms of like, what do you, what do you want me to watch? Who do you want me to have on the show? Um, I mean, when I, when I was a competitor, I'm sure there were probably five or six rounds and, you know, a dozen or so competitors that I would have loved to see. For example, when I had Dan Stern on, uh, recently, I mean, that one was huge. Everyone wanted to see it. That's the one that people talk about with me the most. Um, and I'm sure there's other episodes. I mean, that one was obvious. I'm sure there's other people that, that you would be really popular on the show. And so trying to find ways to figure out what, what people want to see, um, and, and get, getting video that maybe people haven't seen isn't publicly available, things like that. That's probably my, my kind of bigger overarching goal. Let me ask you guys, is there anything that, that I haven't done on the show yet that you guys would like to see? What, what should I watch? Who should I have on? Well, you, you sort of previewed what my follow-up comment, which is going to was going to be which is i don't know if you're like the the hypothetical one you mentioned with like justin rahul ben and ryan i mean i would i would watch a five-hour feature-length documentary on that top gun final <laughs> or those two years yeah i think i'd put that behind a paywall honestly like like 99.99 <laughs> to watch that yeah i mean that's the dream that one will happen eventually i'm just waiting for the right time yeah, I mean that's so that's the first one that comes to mind for me. That the Dan Stern one was a really really interesting episode. Um I think, you know, it's it's a really good question. Um I mean, I, I don't know if you could ever get this. Obviously like we we kind of tried and we weren't successful, but maybe with another year or two, you know, you mentioned earlier the the 2019 final round taking place in the Drexel courtroom and of course Amta has like you know, scrub that from the internet and various other websites as well. Um, and uh, so I don't know if there's ever a world in which you could get someone to come on and watch that show or that final round, even if it's not the people who were in it. But I think that that final round, you know, that video exists, it's out there. And I think that could be super interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll say, I'll say this to your listeners and maybe this will uh, be the impetus to make this happen. Like if I had the video, and I had and I had people who wanted to come on and do it. I would a thousand percent do it. Um, the problem is, it's you know the, obviously that was a sensitive topic and still is. And so you know, understandably, people are, are reluctant to to talk about it publicly. And uh, you know, and, and the video. And, and if so, if I had if I had the video and I had people who wanted to come on and talk about it, and obviously we'd be respectful and um, I, I don't I won't put anyone in an awkward position. But I would love to to watch that on the show. That's one of the handful that, uh, you know, of, of, of things that I really, really want to do eventually. Um, I think that one will happen eventually. And to your point, Ben, maybe with time, uh, that'll be one that we can do and, and people are a little bit more willing to come on and talk about it. I'll say for my end, I, I, I will admit that I think that I'm in the weird group of, you know, competitors that are right between where you both competed. And then, you know, most of the competitors you've had on are now kind of people that are you know, just past me. So I'm definitely in that like 
you know, I, I, my four years of, of college, some of the greats then, I would be so excited to hear that because going back to what I sort of said earlier, you know, it's taken me a long time to kind of accept some of these people that I looked so up to as just other college kids at the time. But, you know, the Rachel Summers, Nick Sarowski, um, you know, those types of folks that my freshman year, I would just looked at as like, oh my gosh. Um, I think any of them, I would be so excited to get to watch and get to hear from. Um, because I just think that, you know, for everyone, we all have those people that we looked up to and getting to hear them talk about this thing that we're so passionate about, I think is always really exciting and really cool. So that would be probably my ask and my request, but I would just say, honestly, keep doing what you're doing. I think it's great and it's exciting. And I mean, look, the Dan Stern one and, and Dennis Cincelli one is, is fantastic. And, and that one struck definitely a chord for me, but, um, yeah, I think that you're doing a great job with it, honestly. And it's, it's such a great service. And I think that the last thing I want to say on this topic is just that, um, I think it's great to have so many different mediums of discussing mock trial too. You know, whether you've got impeachments, you've got a forum, you know, we've got a podcast, we've got a YouTube channel. Like, I just think it's cool seeing it spread, seeing so many different ways for people to access it. If they want to watch it, if they want to talk about it, if they want to listen to it, you know, I just think that's cool. That's great. And I want to see it keep growing. So again, so happy that we're able to talk about WatchMock and get to finally like, you know, see some mock trial and get, you know, actually be interacting with it. I think that's great. So again, thank you. And as I transition us away from this topic, I kind of have two more thoughts here. One is anything with Jonathan Kwong, because he's like a hall of fame podcast guest of ours. His, his interview was one of my absolute favorites. And then of course, selfishly at some point, you got to get the greatest of all time on there. Uh, Sydney Gaskins um, there. I've done my plug. Um, there you go. I just, you know, it is what it is. But I, I mean, like, obviously, I say that selfishly, but also at the same time, I genuinely believe that. And I think that that, you know, it doesn't have to be our final round. I truly don't care what it is. But I think that anything involving Sydney is worth taking the time to examine. I guess, I guess, uh, I hope Sid isn't mad that I had Tom on before her. But I promise <laughs> is, is the man. Big, big fan, <laughs> big fan of Tom. Um, but yes, Sid has to come on eventually, for sure. I, 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 she applied to Drexel. And so I got to know her a little bit over the course of the last year or two. Um, and she's just, she's obviously an amazing competitor, but also an amazing person. And I'm really excited to see what she does at, at UCLA over the next couple of years. I'm sure it's going to be many, many trophies. Uh, and I had John Kwong on. Have you guys not, you guys obviously don't watch the show. I had John on. I wasn't going to say anything, but I knew that the Steven Johnson one with him, right? Oh yeah, you did. You absolutely did. I definitely watched it. And I just completely forgot. Bad looks, Ben. And he was, he was, a, he was a Hall of Fame uh, guest. Like he was, no filter. <laughs> like it was, it was amazing. Uh, and know, that's why that one, that one was really long. It was like two hours and change. I will say, if you want no filter, then go back and watch the very first interviews that we did with someone other than Justin. And I'll just leave it at that. You'll find a a very willing. Uh, interviewee i believe in nick ramos so you know just throwing it out there (laughs) yeah i think the the collective mock trial community just nodded its head um okay so we promised this episode is gonna be about trial by combat we've touched on it just a little bit uh but let's go ahead and get to this year's trial by combat we're only a cool 44 minutes into the episode so i think we've done a pretty solid job of, of moving through all of our various topics so got a couple questions for you phil about 
trial by combat and, and particularly trial by combat this year. So the first one deals with just sort of the format, right? So you did TBC for two years in person. And of course, the last two years have had to be online. Now we're back in person. So how is that impacting the approach in terms of planning the the tournament? It's at UCLA this year for the first time. Uh, what's it like behind the scenes as you all get ready for the first in-person trial by combat since 2019? More than anything, it's just really exciting. I mean, UCLA's campus is never been there, but it looks amazing in pictures and California is amazing. And I think, I I think the competitors and their coaches and second chairs are are really going to enjoy just being in LA on CLA's campus. Um, In in terms of the impact that it's had on our, on our planning and and things like that. um, I I think some obvious ways we're a little bit obviously anxious about judge recruitment. Um, You know, people have gotten used to, to judging online. And so, we pride ourselves on having lots of judges and lots of really good judges. And so um, we're in the midst of of judge recruitment. Things are going really well right now. Fingers crossed. Um, The the other big thing is facilities. And the reason that Justin and I kind of took so long to announce the, you know, where the tournament was going to be was we really weren't sure. Um, Things were changing kind of day by day at our universities um, in in our respective uh, states and, you know, there was a period of like a week or two where Justin and I were pretty confident it was going to be in Philadelphia. Um, and luckily things changed and, and, and things took a, a turn, you know, with the pandemic and we're able to do it in California. Um, but that was kind of the biggest thing that changed with respect to our planning. Where can we do this? Can we get a courthouse? Can we, can we do it on UCLA's campus? Can, are we going to have to do it in Philadelphia? Are we going to have to do it online again? Which was something we obviously did, did not want to do. Um, and kind of navigating the, the COVID protocols at, at, at UCLA, um, I think those protocols went out uh, over the last week or so. And I, I think they're, they're, they're very manageable. Um, we're really excited to host everyone um, in person for the first time since 2019, which is crazy to say. Um, and luckily the logistics have gone pretty smoothly so far. Yeah. I mean, as someone who's has the privilege of getting a coach in this year's trial by combat, I am so, so, so excited. Um, like, like you said about Top Gun, once the tournament starts, it's, it's not really going to be that much fun. But if I'm, if I'm not going to be having fun, I'd rather not be having fun in Los Angeles than like in my home office. So I completely <laughs> agree with you about the format. Um, let's talk for a second about the field. So I think we may as well sort of acknowledge what a lot of people are aware of, which is that you all, of course, select what you believe to be the top 16 competitors in the country. You have a pretty rigorous selection process. And this year, I think there's been some grumbling every year, which is not unexpected. But this year, I would say maybe there's been a little bit more than in previous years. There's been several different posts on mock trial confessions. I think really that's the main place that I feel like I've seen things is posts on mock trial confessions sort of accusing you and Justin and the tournament uh, as a whole of, of elitism, of focusing on, you know, what people were calling quote unquote off top programs or elite programs, and that some decorated competitors from uh, what some might consider to be less elite or less recognized programs didn't get into the field. So can you take us behind the scenes in terms of how you do your selection process and kind of respond to some of the critiques that have been lobbed uh, albeit anonymously, but some of the critiques that have been mentioned uh, about this year's uh, selection of the field. Sure. So it's an application process, um, and Justin and I uh, watch the the videos that people submit along with their applications. We, you know, if we're 
if we judge a tournament and we see people, obviously we take that into account. Um, we review the materials that, that go along with, with the application. So lists of awards, tournaments uh, attended, finishes, things like that. Um, and obviously what weighs pretty heavily is the, 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 the competitors, NCT finished, do they win an All-American, um, things like that. And yes, we, we do, without a doubt, consider the historical success um, of that applicant's program. Um, as for the criticisms, you know, I'll, I'll be really blunt about it. I, I think they're unfounded. Um, I think they're they're pretty baseless. Uh, over the last five years, we've invited thirty five different schools to trial by combat. Over over the five years that we've been doing it, um, and I'm looking at the list of names uh, over the last five years right now. We invited the, the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. We invited the University of Rochester. We invited the University of Cincinnati. We've had Rutgers. Uh, we had LaSalle, we had Cornell. This year, we're going to have Notre Dame for the first time. I mean, we've had so many different schools. We had uh, Brie Goodchild was a semifinalist in 2020 from, from Minnesota. Uh, we've had so many different schools. Um, and we really do our best to invite the, the 16 best competitors, regardless of where they're from, regardless of the historic success of their school. Um, we obviously take that into account, but um, we... We, we, we watch the videos, we look at the applications, and we ask ourselves, who are the 16 strongest people? Um, and so I, I really appreciate those comments because I do think it means that the community at large is really invested in the tournament and really cares about the field, which is really awesome. So I don't take offense to those comments or those criticisms at all. Um, but I, I do think if you look at the fields that we've, we've had over the last five years, um, I, I think those criticisms are, 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 pretty, are pretty unfounded. You know, it's it's interesting to hear your perspective on this, Phil, because I think that, you know, when you apply to a competition like this and, and you all ultimately make the admission decisions, it can kind of feel like, uh, you know, just a, a decision and that, that people are interested in hearing about the people behind the decision. So I think all of that is really interesting to hear. It's kind of a follow-up to that. Uh, of course, you know, you and Justin, you are both directors of very, very strong, you know, high-level law school competitions. And again, I, when I sort of speculated as to what you might think earlier in the podcast, I was completely wrong. So I won't do that again. But I would imagine that, of course, there's a recruiting angle to this, that you and Justin are doing this because you want to have a competition like this, but also because you want to make sure that people are aware of UCLA and Drexel and, and the respective uh, strong offerings that each trial advocacy program has. So how do you balance hosting a competition like this, choosing the top 16 competitors in the country, while also knowing that ultimately both of your goals is to bring talented people to programs at UCLA and Drexel. Yeah. So honestly, Ben, like I really can't think of a time where Justin and I invited someone to the tournament um, or a school to the tournament because of recruiting. Um, obviously that is, a, that is something that we are aware of that we, it, it you know, are you, our respective law schools are putting the resources into this tournament and uh, because of because of you know the exposure that it gives our trial programs, but honestly, Justin and I do this because it's fun, and we love we love mock trial, and, and specifically we love AMTA. Um, and so it's a it's a really nice kind of consequence of hosting this tournament when we get applications from combat competitors. I mean, I was super excited when we got Dennis and Jelly a couple of years ago, and he's the first combat competitor ever to to come to Drexel, and I hope we get 
you know, even more in, over the next couple of years to apply and to, to come to the school and compete for us. Um, but we, I think it really doesn't play into our invitations at all. Um, we're, when we're planning the tournament, obviously that's something we're thinking about. Um, we we want to make sure that our, our universities um, and our law schools are, are, are getting exposure. Um, but in terms of the field, it really, it really plays no role in the invitation process at all. So I just want to say, first of all, on the note of the field, it's something that sounds almost funny to me when we say that this is going to be a tournament for the top 16 competitors. And then people say, oh, I'm annoyed that you're only taking these elite competitors. Like, I don't know. Like, like, that's the point, guys. Like, you know, if you want to make it, then be better. And I I just, I, I think that it's, a ton of time that you guys are investing into it, obviously a lot of money and, and I get everything you're saying, but I think that at the end of the day, like it, it makes a lot of sense to me that of course this is what the field is like uh, to your point. I think that you guys have done a great job of, of spreading the love and of getting a lot of other programs. And uh, I think that it's not a shock though, that a lot of the competitors end up being from similar schools because those tend to be schools that produce some really top, amazing competitors. I do want to take a second, though, to get your take on this field. Um, I think, you know, you can look back through the years, and I feel like every time we look at a field and say, wow, that is a really impressive field, no way it's going to get tougher. You always manage to find a way. But what is your take on this field? You know, obviously, as someone running it, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and ask you to make predictions on what you think is going to happen, but can you just give us your overall impression and take on this field? And if there are any highlights you wanted to point out, then Hey, go for it. Um, Drew, I would have made a prediction had you not said that, but I guess I, Oh, well, Hey, you know what, if you want to, I'm never going to say no. (laughs) No. um, So, so, you know, what's funny. Like I, because of the, because of watch mock, I've actually gotten to sit down with almost at this point, all of the competitors with the exception of a couple. Um, and talk with them for an extended period of time. And so I've really gotten a sense of, you know, I've seen their videos, so I know how good they are as a competitor, but I've really gotten a sense to know them as, as people um, and what, what they're like. And do I think that their skill sets are going to translate to the, the grueling 24 hour preparation period and things like that. Um, I do think it's a, it's a great field and I do think it's our strongest field. And I, I think that every year um, I'm really impressed with the, the level of just how decorated this field is a lot of returners, which is, which is, which is really great. Ben Crosby, obviously Bennett, uh, Rhea Lacaraggio, Ruby Scanlon, um, Liz Grant, Travis Harper. So, so lots of people who've, who've been here. Um, but then there's also some, some really good uh, first timers. I mean, Thomas is already fantastic. He's a fantastic competitor. I think he's going to do really well. Um, I'm really impressed with the amount of students who, were really good witnesses, um, even this year. I mean, one of the things that we talked about a lot on my show, and I think it's been talked about in the larger community, was Travis Harper chose to be a witness in the final round a couple of weeks ago or, or a couple months ago. Um, and so and there's and there's lots of people in this field who are really, really good witnesses. Ali Alekri told me on, on the show recently that had they won the flip, he was going to be a witness in the final round because he thought that was his better side. Um, I know Rhea's a really good witness. Um, so I, I wonder how much of a accentuated role the, the the witness rounds are going to play this year. And I wonder if the people who, you know, have an advantage in that respect are going to, you know, could, could potentially 
you know, break into the playoffs given, you know, on the strength of their witness rounds. Um, it's really, it's so hard to predict. There's so many good people with, with the short preparation. I think that ha- affects people differently. And it's hard to know how that's going to, you know, how that's going to play a role here. But to your point, Drew, I think this is a, a really strong field. I think it's our strongest field yet. I think it's a very diverse field in terms of program, in terms of strengths and weaknesses and style. Um, and I'm really excited to see how these, this class of competitors who's competed mostly online over the last couple of years, um, you know, competes in person in LA. It's going to be really great. One other thing to, to say that I meant to say when you asked me about the complaints about the field, and I'm going to break news on your show here. Uh, we're going to do something different um, for next year's trial by combat um, that we're going to announce probably, you know, in the coming months, sometime late summer, early fall um, to address the, the concerns uh, that have been lodged against us on mock trial confessions and elsewhere. Um, I think you guys are really going to like it. It was something that Justin and I had talked about, um, again, kind of like, what if we did this? And then the more we talked about it, we thought we actually can, can pull this off. Um, so we're going to announce that in the coming months. We're still working out the kinks, but uh, it's going to address that that concern. And we think, I think you guys are going to really like it. Um, so you heard it here first. Look at that. Getting the scoop. Love it. Um, look, I think that what you guys do with the field is fantastic, but I'm definitely excited to hear uh, what you guys end up coming up with. Um, look, I think that the field, as you said, continues to get better and better. I think it gets harder and harder to predict just because it's so impressive. Um, and I, I wanted to highlight what you said about the witnesses because I remember back when Trial by Combat was initially starting in the first few years, Everyone talked about the fact that there really weren't a lot of of elite witnesses that were ever invited, um, and it was really just an attorney competition. And there was even talk of, like, why do we have the witnessing component? This is really just an attorney's competition. And, you know, again, going back to that contrast with Top Gun, I love the fact that we have a witness component because witnessing matters in college mock trial, in AMTA. And it is half of the round is scored on witnesses. And I think it's cool that you guys include that. And I wonder if there's ever going to be a notion of increasing the amount of weight that you place on witnesses. I know that right now it's, you know, kind of the seven checks to three checks um, ratio, but do you think that's ever something that you would consider changing or do you guys kind of feel like you're happy with where it's at right now? Just kind of giving an edge to people that are a little bit, um, that are able to be strong witnesses, but still the emphasis being on attorney. Justin and I talk literally daily about ways we can improve this <laughs> tournament. Uh, uh, you know, I, I talked to him multiple times today about about what we're going to do this year and, and things we're going to do differently. Uh, I think Drew, like you're really happy with with the way it is from a scoring perspective. I think it strikes the right balance in terms of the witness component being important but not too important. Um, and so I don't, I don't know that we'll change that, uh, but it's something, you know, we'll consider. And if there's a way that we can make the ballot better, we're obviously always open to that. Um, but right now, looking at it, I think it strikes the right balance. I think over the last bunch of years, the right people have gotten to the playoffs given, you know, the, their strengths that year. Um, and, and so I think the ballot is doing its job. And, and so right now, I don't know that we, you know, have, have thoughts on changing it. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, you gave us a little bit of scoop that uh, there are potentially some changes to the process of how you make selections coming soon. But in more, you know, upcoming news, you know, cases can be released. 
Can you give us any teasers? We always ask this. Can you give us any teaser on what to expect from the case? Um, and, you know, we our, our listeners love a little nugget of something just to get them excited about the case. So this is my third year writing the case with Justin. Um, the first year, uh, I kind of, you know, took took assignments from him and, and, and did, did what he asked me to do. Last year, we kind of split it 50-50, um, the writing and, and and drafting the case components. This year, I think the competitors are going to see for the first time that I really make my mark and put my influence on the case. So I think when you see this year's case topic, you're going to, you're going to say, yep, uh, not surprising that, that Phil wrote this one. Uh, that is, that's the teaser. So read into that with what you will uh, for all your listeners. Well, Phil, I'm definitely excited to hear and find out what exactly that means. Can you give us any insight, though, into how exactly you and Justin do write these cases? I mean, as you just said, you've been doing it for a few years together. What exactly is kind of the the division of work between the two of you? Do you each take a look at everything? Do you split it between the two of you evenly? Like, how exactly does that work? So he and I tend to like the same stuff uh, and have the same kind of pet peeves in terms of case writing and things like that. So we kind of just sit down and we write out the synopsis of the case and what we think the, what we think the exhibits are going to look like, what we think the witness statements are going to look like um, and kind of outline the, the, the case from A to Z. And then we sort of look at it and we say, we kind of almost have like a draft, like what do you want to write? What do I want to write? Um, and we split everything down the middle and then we trade. So most mornings, I most mornings Justin will wait because he's in, he's in California. I'm in Philly. Most mornings he'll wake up to an email uh, with a draft of something for me, and that's that's been the way it's that that certainly has been the case over the last week or two um, with a, with a draft of something that I wrote for him to look at, and then vice versa. Um, so that's typically the way that we do it. Um, there's certain things that I think he's better at, um, and he's a little bit more experienced than I am in in terms of case writing and just overall. So there's certain things that I'll say, you should probably work on that because we want that to be really good and that's really important. Um, but we, we split everything down the middle. We work on everything together and, um, you know, we make decisions on, on big picture things kind of together. Um, and that's, that's been a really good system for us and we do it all ourselves. We don't really have any, any help. Um, the two of us are, are pretty type A in that respect. So I don't know that we'd, we'd want anybody else helping us, but it's been, it's, it's probably the most fun part of all this is to, to work on the case with him. We have a ton of fun doing it, and it's one of my favorite parts of the whole process. Yeah, I, I've obviously had the opportunity to coach a couple of these cases now, and it, it is always fun. I feel like, and 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 I guess I'll sort of phrase this as a question, as kind of a last question to wrap us up here. Um, you know, I feel like when I coach these cases, um, you know, you kind of go through your initial prep and you go through, you know, kind of getting your initial theories lined up, and then it's one thirty in the morning. Hopefully, the advocates asleep. You know, I'm sort of deliriously reading the case for the fifth time and I like find something like find a little thing that feels like it's kind of tucked in there to try to dig into. So as you all, I'll, I'll just sort of make this our last question. As you all write these cases, how do you approach, you know, this is obviously a different case writing experience than writing an AMTA case where you're writing a case, even for nationals that people will have for weeks on end. This is a case that people are going to have for 24 to 48 hours at absolute most. So how do you approach trying to make a case that's manageable, but also has some fun wrinkles 
that, you know, maybe people who are able to dig in a little bit more and kind of grind in those 24 hours uh, can find and take advantage of? So case grinding is hard. Like it's really hard. Um, and I, I joked earlier that law school mock trial is better. But one of the things that AMTA does better is the cases in AMTA are substantially better on average. Um, case writing is really, really, really hard. And um, it's even harder when you have constraints of one witness per side and the case needs to be prepared in 24 hours and tried in like less than an hour and a half. Um, and so when we're writing the case, we're thinking, you know, what, there's certain things we'd like to have in the case, certain, you know, factual components that we'd like to have or exhibits we'd like to exist that would be really cool, but maybe overcomplicate the case or maybe make the case too confusing for a scoring judge who's only going to hear one witness per side in an hour long trial. Um, and maybe there's things that we could add to the timeline that would make the timeline too long, um, and too confusing for, for such a short trial and such a short preparation period. So it's really difficult from just generally to write a case that's interesting and balanced and complex. And it's even more difficult to, to do all that um, for a top-level tournament like this one and make it manageable within 24 hours and easy for uh, the competitors to try in, with such time constraints. I mean, I said the Top Gun case is more difficult. The reason it's, it's more difficult in part is because the Top Gun time constraints are nowhere near as um, concise as the combat ones are, as the, top, the the combat time constraints are. So it's really, really difficult to write a case where you're dealing with all these different moving parts. Um, and, you know, we, we try to, to think of something that is going to be interesting and complex, but is also going to be simple enough that it's digestible in, such, in a short period of time and our scoring judges can digest it and enjoy the round, even though it's shorter than a typical mock trial. And is it is it fair to say that that this year... For this year's case, you're not going to make your now fiance get get drunk in order to uh, to finish writing the case. Uh, I, I'd be giving away too much if I answered that question. So maybe, maybe, maybe not. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's she, she was she will live on uh, in mock trial infamy forever. She she jokes that there's no photos or of or video of her doing mock trial anywhere, even though she was my law school teammate. But those videos will exist on the internet forever. So at least she's got that. Hey, there you go. That's uh, something, I suppose. <laughs> well, Phil, it has been such a great opportunity to chat with you. I know that that it's a crazy time of year. You're leaving for, for Top Gun very soon. So we really appreciate you taking a few minutes to just sit down and chat with us about, you know, just everything related to your time in mock trial. Uh, and I'm super excited to get to trial by combat very soon and get a chance to see this case that you've given us just a little bit of details on. So thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. And you guys have done such a good job of building up this podcast. So many, I mean, it's crazy how much people look forward to this and competitors are, are just wait, hanging, refreshing their podcast feeds, waiting for this to come <laughs> out. So I, it's really, it's really cool and, and a testament to your guys' dedication to this stuff and it, that you've built this to such a, such a key part of the, of the mock trial community. So congratulations on that. And, and thank you so much for having me. Really, I just enjoyed it so much. Thanks for being here, Phil. Yeah, thank you for those kind words, Phil. We really appreciate it. And as we've kind of already said, we feel similarly about WatchMock. We hope that the sort of online analysis community will only continue to grow and thrive because we're all better off for it. So thank you as always to everyone for listening. We're looking forward to having the second part of our Trial by Combat preview in your feeds very soon. Until next time, this has been The Mock Review with Ben and Drew.